0: There was a time when many had forgotten the grace and love of God's only begotten. Losing sight of what mattered, the body of Christ stumbled and staggered, believing that heaven could be purchased. They gathered in churches thinking, what got you saved was the money you gave. Trading virtue for vice, they put a price on forgiveness, indulgences, a permission slip for sin, available for a small financial transaction. This is what they called faith put into action, trusting in the power of their own goodness rather than the power of Christ's forgiveness. (laughs) Then came Martin Luther, an unlikely resistance. He saw the flaws in the system. A man who became a monk, a rebel who became a reformer, a leader who challenged the beliefs of the day, to remind them that what really matters is faith. 1517, compelled by all he had seen, Luther decided he could not stand idly by and watch truth of God traded in for a lie. With a quest in his heart and a quill in his hand, he began to write day and night, scribbling and scrawling, ink flowing with inspiration, pioneering a reformation, penning a declaration of total and utter dependence of repentance. 95 theses, 95 questions, a message to the people in power, a manifesto to the people in the pews. Good news! You don't have to buy your way into heaven. It is a gift freely given to all who ask. A door open to all who knock, a life found by all who search. This is God's true church, a living temple of heaven on earth, not a building with a steeple or a cathedral, but a gathering of common people who know that salvation comes from faith alone By grace alone, through Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. (laughs) Like a madman on a mission, with a passion for God's vision, for a world free from religion, he dreamt of better days when the whole human race would know that we are saved by grace through faith. Luther, the father of all Protestants, with protest in every step, marched up to the castle church of Wittenberg with a silent prayer to the God of Ages, he took in his hands the 95 pages, held them up to that church door, knowing everything would change from this day forth, and for the second time in human history, the hope of all humanity was nailed to a piece of wood. This was not just any door. This was a doorway to a brand new future, a brand new community filled with the power and presence of God. Every person a priest, every member a missionary, everyone empowered and fully engaged, contributing, distributing God's presence, being present in every place and situation with the message of faith and salvation, a new reformation, transformation to the power and presence of God changing our lives and through us transforming the world.
1: Laughter's good for the soul. (laughs) Marilyn Bramer's just doing this. Today is Reformation Sunday. It's the day in the church when we remember that God used a man by the name of Martin Luther to make it possible for us to be able to do what we're about to do, and that's to open up God's word. I'm going to take this off. My kids tell me I have more hair when I wear it than when I don't. And would you join me as we've opened up our Bibles together? In 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 7, and I want to invite you now, you have it in front of you, we're going to climb through it together, if you just even want to close your eyes and listen. It's a beautiful passage of scripture. Verse 7, dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God, and God lives in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love. Because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. There's one thing that I want you to walk away with today. It's this phrase here. Presence equals love. It's not even on the screen. Say it with me. Presence equals love. I've shared this story before. I first felt called to be a pastor when I was a senior in high school. And that calling, like a lot of things, was tested a little bit in college. But by the time graduation from college rolled around, I could not wait to begin seminary. College to me was just a stepping stone to get to where I really wanted to go. And so in my haste to get there, I decided that I wasn't going to walk uh, for graduation, but I asked them just to mail me my diploma. And immediately after that, I began to, to feel regret around that decision because at that point in my life, I had not invested four years in accomplishing anything. And to not take a moment to pause and to celebrate that felt wrong. So when seminary graduation came around I decided I'm not going to make the same mistake and so I invited as many of my family as possible to join us at the ceremony because a lot of them knew about the journey of course but I went to Bethel Seminary in St. Paul Minnesota and I lived in Wisconsin so I went up there back and forth many times over several years but they had never even stepped foot on the campus. And it was a very busy time of our lives. Um, My my wife, uh, Alyssa, and I uh, were only married three months when I started seminary. Uh, We had two children in the midst of that. Our missionary friend, Holly, as many of you know, lived with us during that season. We started at a new church, St. John's. There was lots of things going on. And so it was really important to me when we made the efforts for my wife and my kids and my extended family to come and to be present for that graduation ceremony their presence mattered to me and I think about that and I think about if if presence matters in the lives of people that love one another then how much more important does presence matter in our relationship with God and that's what we're talking about this morning. We're, we're in 1 John. We'll get back to Luke next week. And the passage I just read, it's, it's a beautiful passage. It's one of the most quoted passages in all of Scripture. Within it, you get all these different phrases that we find but might not know exactly where they come from. Like, God is love. Or, there's no fear in love. Or, perfect love drives out fear. Say the last one with me. We love because he first Loved us. The word love in that passage appears 32 different times. And the reason, if you look back at the context of 1 John, is that God loves us. And God wants a relationship with us. And so it begins in chapter 1 by talking about the darkness that is sin. and, And the call to allow the light to shine in the darkness. Not so much because of the legal standing that we have before God, but because sin is the darkness that divides us from God. And God cannot have a relationship with us when we are divided. God loves us. God loves you. He wants to be right with you. And John writes in the Gospel of John that he loves you so much that the word of God became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That we have seen the glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. God came to us. Another reason this is being fleshed out in this letter from John is to speak against the fallacy that that comes today, but it came already in the first generation of the church where there were people that even just years after Jesus had lived and died and rose again got confused over who Jesus was. Now, there were some groups of people that believed that Jesus was God. You know, he performed all these miracles, he had all this wisdom, but there's no possible way that he could possibly have also been a man. Like, you and I are a man or a woman. In other words, like, like it's like the, is it, is it a way in a manger where, where we sing that, that he didn't cry? Like, no, no crying he makes? That's not biblical. Jesus, if, if, I mean, if he was God and wasn't a man, then sure, that would be true, right? You know what else Jesus wouldn't have done? This makes everybody feel uncomfortable. Jesus wouldn't have pooped either. He wouldn't have had diapers. Last service, I had people look at me, Tom, why are you thinking of that? Because I have five kids, right? right? If Jesus wasn't fully, he wasn't man, he was just God. He didn't do any of those things. But but the way that we learn who Jesus was as we study God's word is that he was a man. And there was other people that believed, okay, that's fine. He was a man. He had a dad and a mom and brothers and sisters and all this stuff. But he couldn't have possibly been fully God. And if he wasn't fully God, well, then he couldn't have done for us what he came to do for us, to be with us. The truth is Jesus is both. He's God and man. We have this big theological word we use to describe this. Say it with me. Incarnation. God incarnated himself as a man in Jesus. He is with us through him. Now, today that might not sound like a distinction we need to talk about. You leave that in seminary. But it's one that we do because we all fall into it subconsciously. Anytime you ever pray a prayer and you look up. (laughs) And you point to God as if God is sitting on a throne somewhere really, really far away from you. And there's this chasm between you and him. You're falling into that fallacy. That isn't the gospel. The gospel says God is with you. Us, He came down to become one of us. And then he took upon himself all the things that divide us from him being with us and us being with him. Our sin and our shame and our guilt. In simple terms, God showed up. He was presence because presence equals love. Presence equals love and love shows up verse 9 this is how God showed his love among us this is what he did he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him and if you don't think that that's a distinction worth spending a few minutes on in church this morning think about how you would feel if God sent someone else Uh, We actually have a term for that. They're called prophets, and they have their place, but it's not the same. Think about it this way. What if my wife, uh, Alyssa, on on seminary graduation day, uh, my neighbor Dick was in the last service. What if Alyssa said to me on seminary graduation day, Tom, you know what? Congratulations. This is really good, but the drive between Wisconsin and the Twin Cities is really long. They got that interchange there, all that kind of stuff. Our kids are young. I'm going to send Dick, our neighbor, and he'll take lots of pictures. How do you think she would have felt? Another example might be a little bit better. Uh, a year ago, uh, a little over a year ago, Alyssa went into labor to deliver our son Grayson, who's about 13 months old now. And of course, it happened on the weekend, right? And so, so what do you think Alyssa would have said if she's, you know, she was induced and she's well into labor? What if I told her on Saturday, you know what, Liz, if this doesn't wrap up by Sunday morning... You know where this is going, right? We're going to usher him out right now. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to preach. I I mean, let's be honest, right? Like, I'm not that useful anyway, right? Like, I'm not doing any of the work, and so I'll just put speakerphone on next to me. I'll hear what's going on. Push, push, right? But I'm going to do my thing. You do your thing, right? How do you think she would have felt? Presence equals love. And two thousand years ago, God decided to show up. It matters, friends. It matters on a week like this, where so many of us need to know in our unanswered questions that God showed up, that He's with us, that He's not distant, that He's here, that He's living inside of us, and He did it because He loves us. And He didn't just come and leave. He He came and He lived, and then He died. And he died for you. Verse 10, this is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. He showed up. And here's the deal. You didn't even invite him. You didn't even invite him. He just came. And then he paid the tab. He paid the price. He paid for full forgiveness and grace and the assurance that we get to go to heaven and be with him for all of eternity and that that is where our loved ones All right, ushered into in the faith in Jesus to live with him forever as we come together as brothers and sisters in the kingdom of God. And it's the comfort that tells us that that comfort does not begin when we die and we go into this faraway place that we think of as heaven. But right now, Jesus promised his presence through the Holy Spirit that the Spirit is living in and with and through us right now. And if that's really true... Then we continue to read the words, verse 11, that says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, what expression of that love do we give the world? We also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I love these words because these words are real. If you've never had an experience where you've heard the audible voice of God, if you've never seen his face, if you wonder where he is, John says no one has ever fully seen God. You'd explode if that happened. But if we love one another, God lives in us. And say it with me, his love is made complete in us. The reason I'm challenging you to go out this week and ask somebody if they're okay, let me tell you, it's not just about you. It's because I believe these words are true and I believe that you are a vessel of God's presence that you are going to show someone who might not even know why that God is with them too. A lot of us, I know, the reason we come to church, right? We want to experience God. How many, just show of hands, how many of you want to have an experience? with God uh, by coming here today. And I can see your hands online. No, I can't, but I assume that's what you're doing, just making sure you're paying attention at home. That's what we want. And it looks different for all of us, right? Like some of us are here because we are mourning and we need comfort. Some of us are here because we need God's grace because we've fallen short this week. Some of us need his love. Some of us need his overwhelming peace. Peace. And to those of us who are here for that reason, it's a comfort to me to know that he shows us right here how that can happen. Verse 12, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his, say it with me again, love is made complete in us. There's a commentator I read when I was studying this passage who said it this way. He said God's love is perfected, not through our perception of it or our experience of it, but through our experience, Expression of it. Let me say that again. God's love is perfected not through our perception of it or through our experience of it, but through our expression of it. God's love reaches completion by the degree to which it is shared among us. I feel convicted when I read that because you know how much I think about it. The way in which God's love is expressed to us when we gather in this place for worship every week? Are the lights right? Is the sound right? Is, you know, my sermon right? Like all of this kind of stuff. And yet, if this is true, the suggestion is the completion of God's love doesn't happen in this place. It happens with what we do with it when we leave. Friends, God showed up. And, perf- and being present equals love. And the call for us, if God has shown up in our lives, is to go and show up in the lives of others. And the promise is the more we do that, the more we will experience his presence in us. this Do you get where I'm going here? This is simple, right? And yet I, I, would, I will argue that the, the most important things... About our Christian faith are often the simplest things to understand and the most difficult things to live out. At times. In the same commentary, uh, the author quotes another theologian. He uses this concept of a triangle. Last time I used this in a sermon, I drew it and it was a disaster because I'm not an artist. So we're going to stick with the experts here, okay? You got God at the top, you've got self and others at the bottom. God's exactly where He should be, the perfection of His love in this triangle. And when you come to church, we're spending a lot of time on that left side right? You've got God up there and and here's what's going on, right? We're singing and we're praying and that's self up to God and then God is pouring back into us through his word and through the sacraments, baptism and holy communion. But if we don't go out and we don't share with others what we ourselves have received, then there's no outlet for the love that we've been given, and I'll, I'll, I'll illustrate this if we go back to the Old Testament Exodus, chapter 16, if you want to follow along with me. God's, God saved ancient Israel, right? You know the story. He saved them from slavery in Egypt. And they're traveling through the wilderness... And as they're traveling through the wilderness, they're hungry, just like you and I would be hungry as they're traveling. Last time I preached on that passage, I shared um, our daughter, Sophie. She was only 17 months old at the time. What came to my brain, and it still does now every time I think about this, was what she did when she was about 17 months old. We'd be driving in the car, and whenever we would drive by the golden arches of McDonald's... um, Does anybody, anybody here remember the movie Finding Nemo? show of hands. Remember the birds in Finding Nemo? Remember the whole thing that goes, mine, 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 right? Right? She would do the same thing except instead of saying mine, she would say fry. (laughs) Fry, 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 fry. She'd be sitting in the back seat. Fry, and she's so stinking cute. So we ate a lot of fries that year. Because I'm a sap, I, I couldn't say no. I'd hear it, bloop, right there, right, right. And, and I still don't. I still have a very difficult time telling her no. Ask Alyssa. So, so I picture Israel in the back seat of the car, right? You got Moses and Aaron sitting in the front seat, and they're saying, fry, 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 food, 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 right? And God is a father, and he's a sap. And so he wants to feed them. And it says this in verse 11, The Lord said to Moses, I've heard the grumbling of the Israelites. Tell them, at twilight you will eat meat, and in the morning you'll be filled with bread, and then you will know that I am the Lord your God." Here's what's important. They're going to know that God is God by how they receive their food. Keep that in your mind as we continue to read this. Verse 13, That evening quail came and covered the camp, and in the morning there was a layer of dew around the camp. When the dew was gone, thin flakes like frost on the ground appeared on the desert floor. When the Israelites saw it, they said to each other, What is this? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Everyone is to gather as much as they need. Take an omer for each person you have in your tents. The Lord fed his people. And that's a great story, but there's this command that comes right away in a couple verses. Moses then said to them, No one is to keep any of it until the morning. It's odd, isn't it? See, unlike McDonald's french fries, I'm pretty sure there are still french fries from when Sophie was 17 months old in the seat cracks of the minivan. And they probably look the same. And if you tasted one, they would probably taste the same too. But this bread, this manna that came from heaven didn't work the same way. And so they were told not to keep it. And yet, of course, just like we do, they do the thing they're told not to do. And it says this in verse 20, however, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until morning. And then it was full of maggots and it began to smell. And so Moses was angry with them. So back to this strange command. Why would God tell them not to save it? Remember what I said before. They're going to know that God is God by the way in which he's feeding them. Every morning when they wake up and there is enough food it will be God's presence bringing them more verse 21 Each morning everyone gathered as much as they everyone gathered as much as they needed and when the sun grew hot it melted away and by the end of the chapter in Exodus they ate this way for 40 years That is over 14 thousand days that they woke up and there was enough food and I think about that number and I'm like whoa that's a big number and then I think about how old I am and I think about how old some of you are oh my goodness right I'm just kidding (laughs) I can't say that anymore look at my hairline right I look at it and I add up all the days of my life and just the fact that you're sitting here you are the you are a testament of this truth in your life too there's been enough bread Every single day, and I'm not challenging the fact that there's fears about whether there's going to be bread tomorrow. I'm not saying there's been as much as you would like, but I'm saying just the simple fact that you're sitting here in this place means that this is true for you too. God has fed you. God fed them every single morning. The 40 years were more about them learning that God is with them than it was about the food that God was preparing them to eat. And we know this because Jesus said as much when he said in the gospel of John chapter 6 very truly I tell you explains this thing. He says, "It's not Moses that gave you bread from heaven. It's the Father, my Father, who gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, you would say it too, always give us this bread. And Jesus declared, I am the bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Friends, Jesus is the bread. When you come up to communion, Jesus is the bread, and the bread is love, because presence equals love, God is with us. And like manna from heaven, there's only two things we can do with this presence of God, which is love. The first thing we can do is we can receive it. It's why when we prepare for communion, we open up our hands. You're going to do that. you let go of whatever else you're holding on to that you might receive what only God can give you. But the other thing that you can do with it is you can give it away. Back to this image here. See, that's why it's a triangle. You receive from God and you give it away to others. God is love. Perfect love casts out all fear. That love lives in us. And it was like, I think it was like four years ago now, we were studying First John in a, in a men's Bible study and um, we were talking about how we get this wrong so often as Christians. It's so hard and the church isn't known for its love the way that it should be and how can we be more effective at sharing God's love with the world and, and a member of our church who's in my group, Mark Chrisman, I quoted him that Sunday. He said this, he said, maybe the best way to bring people to Christianity is very simple, it's just to be one. It's just to be one. Why aren't we one? To be a Christian is to be present. To have God's presence in you and then you being used by God to bring that presence in others. And we do that not just by being there, but we do it through love. And yet love is a complicated thing, isn't it? I just did a wedding just yesterday. And... I am mindful with every wedding that I officiate that, that when we talk about the vows, the best and the worst of what is to come as long as we both shall live, I am mindful that the journey that we are embarking on together in a marriage and in any relationship in love is going to be difficult because in love you risk something. Jesus risked everything and he continues to risk it as he invites us to receive it but doesn't force it upon us and the same is true for us when you love you risk something every night when the israelites went to bed at night they risked something by not gathering the food in their cupboards they prayed that there would be more bread in the morning i know the reason that i don't love enough as much as i should is because often i'm afraid have you ever not loved someone as deeply as you could because you're afraid of rejection? Or maybe you're just afraid of getting hurt or, or, or maybe you're afraid that there's not enough love to go around. When I, my wife and I got involved in foster care, that was a big thing for us to learn that is, as we're invited to love children that are not biologically our own, children that may, may not be with us forever, is there enough love to go around? If they love us, are they going to love their parents less? If they love their parents, are they going to love us as much? And then I learned this concept from 1 John, that when it comes to God, because God's the source of love, right? So for the Christian, love is no longer a limited resource. As a follower of Jesus, you're no longer an endangered species. You're going to live forever. And the love of God that lives in you is a bountiful fountain that never ends. You have the presence of God inside of you, and it's overflowing in a never-ending source of not just love, but you know the list from Galatians, right? Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Have you ever said, I am running out of patience? Show of hands. You never, you're a Christian, You never run out of patience. You do stop running to the source of patience sometimes. And I do the same thing. Have you ever said, I can't forgive? I can't forgive. I can't be Mr. Nice Guy anymore. Lamentations says God's mercies are new every morning. Now, I'm guilty of this just as much as anybody else. But, but when I'm guilty of not giving away what I've been given as much as I could, what I realize is that I haven't been living in perfect love with God. I haven't gone back to the source. To, to quote Lamentations, I, I'm living on yesterday's mercy And if you're only coming to God every once a month or whatever it might be, if you're not coming to him in every moment of every day, just like that bread from heaven, it begins to get stale. And so how do you come back? Well, that's what completes the triangle. We go back to the triangle, God pours love into you. You share that love with others. And when you share that love with others in the name of God, what did Jesus say? Let your light so shine before men that they'll see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. And what ends up happening is it's through your love, through presence with others, that they are connected to God themselves. And the triangle of love is made complete. I'll leave you with this story. I shared it when it happened. I I probably shared it a couple of times since as well. Um, I was driving in Milwaukee. It's like four or five years ago now. And I was in an intersection. And there was a a homeless man who was standing at the corner. And he was asking people for money. And I did what, what any good Christian would do. I pretended like I didn't see him. And he came to my window, and I couldn't pretend anymore. And so I rolled down the window, and he said, do you have any spare change? And I don't carry cash in my pocket. And and, and so I I looked around, and all I had were a few coins, just some loose coins. And so I grabbed what I could. He wasn't going to leave with nothing, and so I took what I could. And I put the coins in his hand, and I said, I'm really sorry, sir. This is literally all I have, that my credit card. Like, I can't. It's all I have to give you. And so I put it in his hand, and I turned around. And before I could even, like, notice what was all going on, I turned back to face the man. And he took the handful of coins that I gave him, and he threw it in my face. And he said something that I can't repeat in church. And he walked away. And I was like, Whoa. And I rolled up my window, and I drove home, and I told Alyssa, and and Alyssa said to me, first thing she said is, I guess that's the last time you give change to a stranger on the side of the road. And I said, you know, I, I thought the same thing for about halfway home. I had all kinds of thoughts and judgments and all of these things going through my head. But on the second stretch between Milwaukee and Elkhorn as I was driving, I remembered all the times that I've stepped out with generosity, and that situation didn't happen. And I thought, if this situation causes me to stop sharing love with others, darkness wins. And I told you the story when it happened four or five years ago. And I told you, because you hold me accountable... I said I'm going to start carrying change and 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 next time somebody asks me I I promise you and I promise God I'm going to give them what I have and sure enough I don't know it was a couple of weeks or a couple of months later that's exactly what happened I was in Milwaukee again different intersection there was a different person standing at the side of the road and they came up and I didn't avoid them I rolled down the window they said do you have anything to spare. I'm hungry. And I didn't make perfect good on the, on the promise because I forgot to put cash in my pocket, and so I didn't have any cash. And Alyssa was sitting next to me, and the only thing I hadn't have any change anymore either because I gave it to that other guy who threw it at me. It was probably sitting in the cracks or something. And, and the only thing that I had to give this guy was an apple. And I looked down at that apple, and I thought, that's really going to hurt if he throws that at my face. <laughs> And I took it and I said sir I'm really sorry I don't have much but I have an apple and I handed him the apple and do you know what he said to me he said two words thank you and he took the apple and he was grateful and he walked away and it reminded me that I will do that again and again and again because I will not forget that every morning I need more grace too And if every morning in my relationship with God I am coming back to the source of grace and forgiveness and love and asking him to give me what I need, then I will trust that God will give me what I need to give away to others as well. And that's the best part of the image here. See, the triangle doesn't have any arrows. The reason why is because it goes both ways. When God pours into you and you pour what God has given you into others in the name of God, God will use that person that you thought you were serving for them as a conduit to remind you that his presence is with you as well. As you love others, you will begin to see that they will become a conduit for God's love to flow back to you. And in the words of John, that is when love is made complete in us. And so would you join me now as we pray, as I invite our musicians to come back up, and, and as we ask God to make this possible for us as we leave this place. Lord Jesus, presence equals love. And I, it's not lost on me the reality that For so many of us, your presence can feel so far off. As as John writes in his letter, nobody has seen God. And yet we can experience your presence, your promises that you would be with us. Actually, Jesus, you told us that when you would ascend to the Father, that you would send the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, your real presence, that we would become the temple, that you would be with us and in us and dwell within us, that you might live through us, that we might be your body, your hands, and your feet. Your love becomes complete, not just when we receive it, but when we go out and we share it. And so, Lord, I ask and I pray, would you place in our hearts and our minds, who needs to be asked, are you okay this week? Who needs to be expressed the love that you have given us? We know you're always with us, but there's someone who isn't here right now that might not know that truth. Can we be your presence to that person? And God, I I pray that prayer selfishly because I know for me and I know for so many of us, I need to be reminded that you're with me too. And so, God, as we love others, we we do it for them, but we also do it with the anticipation that your love for us is made complete in it as well, that as we serve others the way that you served us, we are not just drawn closer to them, but we are drawn closer to you.